everyone, and welcome to Coffee with Innovate Finance, our weekly podcast series where we explore the future of financial services and look at key innovations happening across the industry. I'm Janine Hurt, the Chief Operating Officer of Innovate Finance, and I'm really excited today to have not just one, but two key speakers with me. We have Ross Dalzell, who's Head of Digital Investment Platforms at Barclays, and Adam French, who's founder at Scalable Capital. So to our listeners who may not be aware, Barclays recently announced that they will be launching a digital wealth management service called Plan and Invest, and they have partnered with Scalable Capital to deliver it. So first of all, both of you, congratulations on your recent announcements of the Rear Partnership. Thank you so much for joining us today. No worries, it's great to be here. Thanks, Janine. And we're really looking forward uh, to delving a little bit more into the partnership uh, and everything that's gone into creating this, where we're big fans of Innovate Finance, of talking about how large institutions and startups can work together for really ensuring the, the wider democratization of financial services going forward. So I think to kick off, Adam, I'd love if you could tell us a bit more about scalable capital for our listeners out there. Sure, no, happy to do so. Um, yeah, Scalable Capital is one of the largest digital investment platforms in Europe today. Um, we started life about six years ago um, as, a, as, a, as a merely as a, a direct-to-consumer robo-advisor um, operating uh, here in the UK, but also across Europe. Um, and over the last six years, we've really developed the, 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 the company and the propositions that we offer our clients really to be a, a more broad-based digital investment firm. Um, and so on the direct-to-consumer side, we've transformed from just being a, a robo-advisor or a digital wealth management firm to a firm that also now offers kind of online brokerage. Um, so, you know, a fixed-free trading platform for clients that want to do their, do their own thing. Um, but more importantly, we've also developed um, our firm in a way in which we can leverage the technology that we've built to help large financial institutions build similar services themselves. Um, that started back in 2017 uh, with our first financial services partner, ING, in Germany. Uh, and since then, we've launched a number of uh, partnerships across the world. Uh, and as you said, the most recent one that we've, we've uh, announced is, is working closely with Barclays to launch the, help them launch the plan and invest uh, service, uh, which is one that we're, we're really excited about. Great. And Adam, I think that leads really nicely into my question for Ross. Please, can you tell us a bit more about Barclays Plan and Invest and what is it that really differentiates this service from other tools and services that are already in the market? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so uh, what we've tried to do is, I guess like many, we're trying to close the advice gap. You know, it's often talked about, um, particularly in the UK, but I know elsewhere in the world as well, where um, various regulations and other things mean many customers aren't getting access to kind of investments advice and the investment services that maybe wealthier customers are. That means their money's not working as hard as it could be for them. And that means they won't be as comfortable in retirement or achieving those long-term goals they're trying to achieve. So that was the kind of the objective we set ourselves was to go and solve that problem. Um, what we wanted to do, what we've tried to do kind of embedding in that service is, as Adam said, there's many services like this kicking around. So what we wanted to try and tackle were two things. One, we wanted it to be really personalized. So we've tried to really work closely with Scalable and with our own teams to make sure we really deeply understand the customer, what's going on in their lives financially, what their, their personality's like, what goals they're trying to achieve. And then we build a really personalized investments plan uh, just for them that's optimized for making their money work as hard as possible for their lives. 
um, but also that does that on an ongoing basis. It's not just a once and done, it's checking in all the time and making sure it remains the right plan and the right strategy for the customer and for the goal they're trying to achieve. And the second thing we've tried to do is really make sure we've kind of injected the human being into this process. So that's at the front end. That means um, you know, there are human beings on the phone um, uh, available to support the customer at any stage in the journey at any time. Uh, there's a base in the UK up in Glasgow and they're kind of experts who can really support the customer. But also, we didn't just want it to be a bland sort of algorithm at the back end managing the money. So it's the same team of people who develop the investment strategies for our wealthiest clients and manage their money on their behalf, who've designed and monitor and manage these portfolios to make sure the customer's got you know, the same access to the same sorts of experts with all the sort of years and years of experience they have to make the money work as hard as possible and deal with things like COVID and the other market movements that of course happen. So that's, that's kind of the, the two differentiators really, that personalization and making sure we use the human skills we've got inside Barclays, powered by the technology that Scalable can provide uh, to deliver a, a differentiated service. Now that's really exciting, Ross. Thank you for that. Um, I would be very keen to hear from both of you individually, your perspectives on how the partnership conversation started. So what were some of the key opportunities that you both saw in potential collaboration? And maybe Ross, I'll start with you. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so we knew we wanted to enter this market and we knew uh, or felt that we would probably need a partner to help us do so, um, uh, to give us the kind of speed and the experience. And, and so we then sort of started to drive up a bit of a, a short list of things we were looking for in a partner. So we wanted someone who gave us that speed and agility and ability to build really great software quickly. We wanted someone who had uh, kind of real experience of investments technology in particular. We'll perhaps come to this later, but building investments tech is hard. Um, it's a very regulated, complicated market. So we wanted someone who was strong track record in the investment space. We wanted somebody who had a track record of helping big organizations like ourselves succeed. Um, we've had experience that kind of pure B2C players trying to become B2B players overnight is quite difficult. Um, and we wanted someone who had that track record of working with a large entity and kind of helping them become successful and, and leverage their own strengths. Um, and then uh, finally, we wanted somebody who had scaled these kind of propositions in other markets, who, who knew the challenges and particularly how you kind of drive that adoption. And once you kind of laid those three or four kind of um, items out and we scanned the market it was pretty clear pretty quickly that scalable was a perfect partner for us so because they really ticked up those four boxes far better than anybody else so hence um, us approaching scalable and and having the conversations i guess um the rest is history we've been working together ever since but adam i guess you you, you must have been going through similar thoughts about um who was a potential right partner for you in the uk and i guess we've never talked in detail about the think thought process you were going on at the same time yeah, sure. No, and um, I think one one of the points is similar, but in a completely different way, <laughs> um, which is you know naturally Barclays comes with a completely different level of scale. Um, you know, they they're one of the largest, if not the largest, financial services firm in the UK that operates with a single brand and a and a, and a really powerful brand at that. So I think that um, if you look at the financial services landscape, um, you know Barclays has an edge in the mobile space. Um, it has an edge when it comes to, obviously, their investment expertise. Um, and I think that uh, you kind of put that all together, um, it, it ends up being quite a natural fit for us. And um, those conversations, you know, when we, when we first started kind of understanding kind of what, what were we looking to build together, could we work together, um, they, they continued over, you know, multiple workshops, um, you know, multiple teams coming on board, you know, working closely with, with them to kind of understand, okay, how are they going to bring kind of what their team's kind of experience and expertise into the partnership? And what became clear, I think, over, yeah, kind of the, 
all of these meetings, all of these workshops, um, was that there was a, a relatively strong cultural fit um, for a large organization in that there was a, a really strong kind of support at a senior management level to kind of push the business case forward. But then there was also a, a really clear kind of open-mindedness from the, from the teams involved um, that they were w willing to work very closely with us and not just treat us as a, as a vendor, um, but really as a partner. Um, and I think that's that's what's kind of you know enabled us to to get something to market because um, we've obviously got the scale and got the experience on the on the Barclays side. They're bringing a lot to the table, um, but we're able to also you know get things live and, and push things forward and, and bring bring our experience and our expertise there as well. Um, and if it, you know if we didn't have that open mindedness to work very closely together in that way, um, I think it, it would have been a lot more challenging. Um, so yeah, it was, it's kind of that that cultural fit is all, all is also there. Uh, even even within this kind of big versus small mentality, which is which is great to see. That's great. So it, it's very obvious that you have clearly a, a quite a strong working relationship. But I am curious, as I'm sure there must have some, been some obstacles or challenges uh, that you both faced along the way to this partnership. So could you tell us a little bit more about any of those challenges? And are there any general learnings that you could offer to other incumbents and fintechs that are looking to partner as well? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have a go, but we could get Adam's thoughts. I mean, I think um, there, there were many. You know, I'm not going to say this was easy. It's just, this is these are hard yards, and so delivering um, these kind of services to market is very difficult. It's one of the reasons we feel so proud that we're now out there serving real customers. We've seen a number of kind of big organisations, great ones, um, announce launching services like this, and they've either delayed them or cancelled them just recently. So, you know, it, it is a incredibly challenging area, and this was this was as as would expect, kind of no less. I think I'll give one example and then I'll maybe give my one learning and I'll throw to Adam. My example, and it's, it's a wider kind of point, I guess, is how uh, frequently we, we, you release technology. So, you know, Adam's business, fabulous Adam's business. So they are de de developing and deploying daily, um, you know, continuous development, continuous deployment fabulous kind of fintech model. If I'm someone like Barclays and I'm deploying that into our mobile app, into our online banking platform, where I've got literally tens of millions of users of that platform, of course, I've got to be incredibly careful. A, a two hour outage for me would be, you know, millions of people not being able to pay their staff or check their balance. So I've got to be really careful deploying the cycle. So both positions of a, a more, um, maybe a monthly or whatever release cycle on a, for a big organization and this daily release cycle for a smaller entity, they're both reasonable positions given the given the context but of course what you want to do to really leverage a partnership like this is find a way to have a big organization like us be able to benefit from the speed of deployment that, 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 that Adam and his team can give us so we had lots of kind of challenging conversations late at night about you know Adam saying well I've got this built us I want to get it into live and me saying well I, look I've got to go through my gates I've got to go through my process so that was tough a lot very personally tough at lots of points um, and I think what was powerful and I think Adam touched on it earlier is because we both respected each other's opinions and we both understood where we were coming from we've kind of worked that through and now got to a model where we can deploy with a lot of speed very frequently you know, more than once a week um, making changes and improvements to the proposition but in a way that kind of is meeting all my safety requirements and making sure i'm protecting that big platform so those things were a real challenge and many of them my one tip and again this might be something we'll come back to but um you need you need that personal relationship there are moments where it gets difficult and um Adam and I need to have a, a genuine respect and liking for each other and, and, and invest in that and our teams needed to do the same just going out for dinner when we could um, obviously can't anymore but when we could and really kind of spending that time to kind of build that connection because 
Adam needs my sponsorship and my team's sponsorship and my boss's sponsorship inside Barclays to get it through. And equally, he and I need that relationship when we're having one of those high-pressure moments and they, they happen. Um, we kind of have got that to fall back on as a bit of a safety net. And I think that would be my one big kind of um, suggestion in any of those partnerships is do, do keep investing in that relationship. You, you're going to need it at the trickier points. Uh, but Adam, I'm sure you've got a, a bunch of other thoughts as well. No, I, I think uh, yeah, completely iterate what you've said, and um, it's it's hard work um, a partnership like this, just generally, and I, and I think that doesn't just uh, relate to the the fintech side, but to Ross's side as well. I know how much hard work he's had to put into you know to keep pushing for this partnership internally, because a large organisation obviously has um, a lot of different opinions and a lot of different directions that they ultimately want to go in. So. Um, you know, I've got a lot of respect for um, for kind of what you know the, the sponsorship there, um, but likewise, it's it's hard work on our side as well. Um, and, mm. and so the challenge is really, you know, there's there's not just you know a single large barrier that we need to knock down. Um, there's barriers put up every single day, um, and it's how you how you kind of how you approach those barriers. Um, if I'm inflexible um, and unwilling to, uh, you know, you know kind of slightly change the way that we operate because um, we need to fit a little bit more closely into the organizational design of this large incumbent firm, I'm going to get nowhere. Um, but the challenge is obviously that then I need to change. Um, it's a little easier for me to change than it is for Ross to you know, change the, the oil tanker that is Barclays uh, overnight. Um, so I can, I can do a better job at that, but it comes with challenges as well. We need to be really, really nimble. Um, and that's not just on the technology side. Obviously, that's that's kind of a bit, we're in a better position as well because more modern architecture, as Ross was saying, kind of continuous delivery model. Deployment is not a big event for us uh, in the same way that it is it is for Ross. Um, but also organizational design is different. And, um, and we're lucky mm. that obviously we're nimble and we've got, you know, a different operating model internally. We can we can scale up. We can scale down. We've got you know a smaller group of um, kind of expert individuals that we can pull on and pull off of projects quite quickly. Um, but it's yeah, it's trying to navigate that, but also you know keep up with the high demands of of what you know an institution like Barclays uh, needs as well. It's uh, it is one of the most heavily regulated institutions in the UK, uh, and rightly so. They've got um, you know a, a large part of the, the population reliant on them. Um, and we need to be cognizant of that and we need to be very nimble, but it, it just means that there's a lot of difficult conversations, either, either externally where we need to say, look, we can't do that, or we would think about doing it a different way. Are you open-minded because we are, um, and seeing if we can you know, get, get change to happen at the Barclays end. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, mainly always, mostly always for the right reason. Um, but we need to make that, that internal change as well to you know, make sure that we're delivering what we promised to deliver in a way which is acceptable to Barclays. And um, it's obviously that's kind of the core kind of underlying fundamentals of what we do as a business. I think that's why we're very good at B2B. Um, but it's, you know, it's a slightly different hat that we have to wear when we're kind of managing our own business because it's um, and not as, not as, not as heavy handed in certain ways uh, in a different organizational design, um, which, um, yeah, it means that we can be a little bit quicker than, than we would otherwise. But, you know, that's, that's why we're here. I think um, at the end of the day, if, it, if you were quick and nimble, Ross, and you were able to, you know, work in an agile way and you were able to, you know, um, do everything that we do, then you wouldn't need us. So uh, it's uh, I'm kind of happy that you've got your problems in that respect and you're happy to partner. 
I'm really hearing a theme of flexibility, of nimbleness, agility, and then also respect and the importance of personal relationships. So that was really, really helpful. Um, I want to turn our conversation slightly towards COVID-19 um, and just mm. look at both the impact that COVID-19 has had on your organizations and how it has um, affected your look towards the future. So I think, Ross, can you tell us a bit about how COVID-19 has impacted Barclays' wider innovation and digital transformation strategy? And has this had any effect on your appetite to partner with fintechs? Yeah, sure. I mean, like every individual and every business in the world we've been you know dealing with transformed customer demand you know many of our existing processes couldn't work as they previously did and had to be kind of digitized and made remote so you know from every corner shop and uh, small business in the uk to big ones like us i think we've all been dealing with uh, to some extent the same suite of problems they manifest slightly differently but it, it's the same series of issues so we've certainly had that challenge and um back to that speed point one of the interesting things to me within barclays and in the software case in large firms i think is when faced with a crisis like that it's amazing how fast we can move actually you know we we virtualized um tens of thousands of, of contact center jobs for example in a matter of a couple of weeks um, which i don't think we'd have believed ourselves we could do before something like this happened and similarly you know, moved our entire operations functions to being remote worked again over a course of days which again would have normally taken probably much longer than that so it's been a huge kind of uh, challenge massive pressure on many many people um, and of course that pressure and that um, professional kind of professional pressure is manifesting at a time when people are often going through you know a personal uh, crisis and catharsis about this thing that's impacting us all and so there's a personal dimension to that as well so it, it's been a it's been a massive challenge i think um how does this affect kind of a future our forward look and, and in particular around partnerships well first of all when we talked to plan invest for a split second we're feeling really excited about launching this product in this moment um you know i think we've all become much more comfortable doing things digitally and remotely that we'd have once wanted to be in, a, in the same room to do and that goes for our customers as well and that goes for something like financial advice so we think actually this change will have made more, many customers need it and then perhaps more willing to engage digitally and remotely than they were perhaps previously so that that feels like a positive in addition i think many of us i include myself in this on a personal level kind of we're now looking at this uncertain future and thinking about am i doing enough to plan for these sorts of risks have i building that nest egg that's going to keep me and my family safe and again that's what planning invest is all about so uh, we think we think this is the right moment to launch the product and indeed ones like it and that, that's kind of the focus i guess on our innovation agenda internally is to think about what are those changed circumstances and changed perspectives from customers and how do we leverage it um the the, the need for partners only goes up if partnerships about bringing new and interesting and exciting ideas into the organization and bringing the ability to deliver those things at pace whilst leveraging this capability of the business and we now need to move even faster and those needs are changing even more quickly and are even more uncertain then we need more of that innovation and more of that speed and we need to engender that in ourselves but it would be arrogant to think we can do it all ourselves we need to we need to find the best and breeds like scalable to help us do it so it, it, it's transformed our challenges it's already forced us to transform our business and i think it it makes the need for partnerships like this perhaps only greater thanks ross 
And Adam, Scalable Capital recently closed a Series D funding round of 50 million euros, which is really not an easy feat in the midst of COVID-19. What is it that you attribute Scalable Capital's success to? And more so, how are you inspiring and leading your team through this crisis? Sure. Um, always a difficult question to answer, uh, to pinpoint <laughs> kind of the one or two things. But I think there's, a, there's definitely two key areas that I, that I think, think about. So one is you know, the, the changing landscape and the whole reason why we, why we, found, why we find, founded Scalable, you know, six years ago. Um, and that was the, the changing landscape, um, not just from a technology point of view, with, with people becoming a lot more mobile, wanting services in their pocket, um, you know, being able to get access to, to things that they previously never had access to, um, you know, through maybe more accessibility or, or kind of lower, lower price point. Um, but also the, the changing wave of what's going on in the financial services landscape with, um, you know, people concerned about how they're going to pay or, or at least uh, save up, invest for their retirement. Um, and, and that used to be a problem. Uh, and this is a global problem. This is a problem kind of which was half solved by either the corporate or by the state. Um, and now it's being put more and more into the responsibility of the individual. Um, and uh, these, these waves, these kind of external factors were kind of the very reason why we, why we felt, felt a digital investing firm and specifically in the early days, kind of a robo advisor, digital wealth management firm would make 100% sense. Um, because we were facing the same problems ourselves. Um, and since, you know, since we founded the firm, kind of, you know, what's, you know, what, what do I think has helped us on that journey? Um, a, a few different things I think we, we put a lot of focus on. Um, one is, uh, you know, we turned to B2B very, very early on. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that we, uh, you know, on day one potentially thought that we would do, but it was something that we very early on thought about through the relationship that we built with, with ING, which meant that the DNA of the company was pushed in a certain direction. Um, it was pushed in a way in which, um, yes, we're a fintech and we're, you know, very modern and we have our own clients and we like to be, you know, um, you know we, we have those relationships with the clients and, and kind of we have that, that fintech relationship with our clients, which is slightly different to how a bank has a relationship with its clients. But we have to be 100% respectful of the partnerships that we have with our partners um, in the way that we build, work together, talk, like even just talking to, holding a meeting, um, you know, we, we need, we've got that, the type of organization where I can pluck 10, 15 different individuals and I can put them in front of a CEO of a bank and not have to worry about their professionalism or the way that they approach the problem, uh, their open-mindedness. So I think part of it is kind of the DNA that we've built, but then obviously there's the broader team that have come into to, to this firm and have taken on that mission. Um, you know, I think I can't underestimate or overestimate the, um, the, you know, the importance of the, of the people that we have working with. It's scalable and, and what they've brought to the table. Um, you know, we're a long way away from where we were just a, a few people working in a single office. Um, now we have uh, multiple offices around the world and we have about 140 people uh, who are currently all working remotely. Um, but that team is growing and growing and, um, and they become ever important to us to be able to continue to deliver this mission. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it, you know, we, we definitely kind of saw the wave, saw the change that was coming. Um, but the way I think that we set up the firm and the people we put in place to help us to kind of capitalize on that. Um, yeah, his, his uh, you know, I say I put it as, a, you know, one of, the, one of the major factors why we, why we keep kind of being selected to partner with large organizations. Um, you know, and, and kind of, you know, one other thing, and, and I think this became very obvious over the last couple of years is, 
um, we're not just a software vendor. Um, you know, we're not just building stuff. Um, and, and Ross mentioned it earlier, you know, our experience of, of yeah. building stuff, but, but also operating it. Um, so we know mm. what works and what doesn't work. Um, we can bring that to the table. It's, it's not the, we're going to build you the software and let you get on with it yourself model, but it's, we're going to build you the software and we're going to get on the phone to you every day and help you every single day um, to make this a success. Um, if that's, you know, make, you know, using innovation to broaden out the proposition, change the proposition, um, or if that's help with distribution and what, what learnings we've made across the world. Um, and, you know, having that approach, I think, is, um, has been helpful to all our partners. Thanks, Adam. And I, I know you've been a member of Innovate Finances for a number of years, and it's just been really inspiring to see your company grow and also you and your team's leadership on that front. So that's great. Now, I want to turn a focus and look a little bit into the future, um, potentially a post-COVID future as well. What do both of you think the wealth management space will look like a year from now, five years from now, or 10 years from now? And is there anything that you believe the UK needs to do more of to ensure that we retain our competitive advantage, both in wealth management, but also across financial services innovation in general? That's a, good, a big and good question. Um, uh, I guess from in terms of the trends, I guess I see kind of two interrelated kind of big themes um, that kind of come at either end of the market in some respects. So one is the one we've talked about a bit today already where um, you know, new technologies, open data, um, algorithms, etc., is going to allow us to take these services that were only affordable to offer to um, wealthier clients and increasingly make them available to everybody because a much wider way the society needs them. Um, and I think we're going to see that trend continue. It's obviously well underway, but I think it's still many, many places for it to go and touch and, and for its adoption to drive up. So I think we're going to see that um, happen. I think it'll be harder than maybe some people in the industry think. I don't think this is going to happen at the flick of the switch in the next 12 months, what it's worth. I think, you know, there is um, reasons why it's technically difficult there are reasons why it's sort of emotionally difficult for people to adopt some of these services in those ways these are big decisions for people but um but i think that will be one trend we'll see play out i think at the other end of the market the kind of traditional wealth management market which is still there and still doing very well and still loved by many of its customers but that's um kind of very very antiquated in many of its processes um still lots of paper and lots of people meeting individually and uh, everything has to be done kind of face to face um so i think i think we'll see some of those technologies built to kind of automate and, uh, and democratize these services be used to also augment the wealth services and make them more 24 seven, more digital, um, easier to use, easier to use remotely. So I think, I think we'll see both of those trends happen. My personal opinion is I don't think this spells the end of the human interaction or the relationship manager. Um, as, certainly in certain pockets of need or, or, or value, I think um, I like the Steve Jobs quote of is it computers or uh, bicycles for the mind. I, I think that's how I think about it. I think we'll see these technologies enable relationship managers, um, uh, human beings, colleagues to spend more time doing the hard stuff, more time helping customers understand things, think value judgments through, deal with their emotional kind of reaction to monetary decisions and less time, frankly, doing admin. Um, and that, that I think is the, is the narrative. Um, and that's how, that's how I think it'll, those are the trends I think will play out at scale. In terms of um, what do we need to do in the UK, I think there's a couple of big themes. I'd be really interested to hear Adam's thoughts on this, but one is, 
open banking and open data more widely is critical. You know, if you want to give really complete financial advice at the moment, there's a huge amount of form filling and data gathering required because a lot of that data can't be gathered in any other way. Banking data is now available through the open banking APIs, but there are many other pieces of data, whether that's pensions information, whether that's other investments information, uh, life insurance, et cetera, which you can't get in these structured ways automated through APIs. And, and until that happens, there'll always be a level of admin required to give financial advice. So I think the more we can move into that open data world and stay at the cutting edge of that, the more we'll, our, our wealth management and financial planning businesses will be able to stay there. And then relatedly, our regulators are going to have to adjust. Um, you know, I think they have done a very good job, actually, in many ways. The advice unit has been fab for this service, for example. Um, but the, we get, the regulators are going to have to think about which regulations were designed for the past and we're protecting from risks from the past versus which are dealing with the new world and the new markets and new both risks that creates but also not not kind of hold back that progress so i think um it needs a regulator who's going to stay on the front foot i think the FCA actually is showing and PRA are showing lots of evidence that they want to do that, um, but I'm sure their job is not easy. Um, I, I think that open data point is probably a, a big theme. But Adam, I, I should shut up and throw it to you. Uh, thanks, Ross. Um, yeah, I was, I was just thinking that, uh, you know, Scalable is about six years old. So kind of going back in history and thinking about what was the landscape like six years ago? Um, and then, you know, what will it be like, you know, five or 10 years from now, like similar time frame? Um, the conversation and the solutions have moved on so much since then. Um, I think when we, when we founded the firm, the conversations were around kind of digital or not digital. Um, and it was a bit of a kind of an us versus them type mentality across the market. Um, and that, that has changed entirely. And I think that we're becoming a lot more aware that, um, as, as Ross said, you know, bringing humans into the, into the, the process in areas in which they can add value you know, and that's obviously managing a client relationship up at the, you know, the higher end of the market. Um, that's, you know, helping them with, you know, more complex, um, you know, financial outcomes to deal with because they, you know, they might have, you know, they might have tax situation to deal with, which spans several, several countries. Um, you know, they're the elements that, that advisors and relationship managers should be spending their time. Um, and therefore, the technology over the last few years has enabled them to get in front of the client more often in a way which works for the client. And I think that's a theme that we're going to continue to see um, play out. And hopefully the, the kind of the conversation continues to move in that direction where we're not talking about kind of digital wealth management versus traditional wealth management. And we're just kind of putting that all together. And that's just called wealth management or just called investing. Um, you know, where there's no real difference between, you know, what, what the solutions are offering, um, obviously different in terms of the scope and their expertise, but digital is, should be part of every single proposition. I think that if you're, um, yeah, if, if people aren't thinking in that way, I think the, the narrative has moved on now. Um, so I think that, um, you know, from a, from a kind of a business model point of view, I think that's the, that's the way we're going. I don't know what it looks like 10 years from now. It's a long time to long time to, to think about but then on the on the technology side exactly what ross was saying um you know I, and i do think the uk is doing a brilliant job you know it's primarily on the open banking side um but there's a clear mandate to broaden that out to be more more open finance related and that opens up a, such a such an opportunity of um of business models for for firms within the investing space to to help clients um I, you know, with this, this um, I would say digital investing is still in its earliest days. And um, the, 
the ability in the near future to be able to help people without them even knowing they're being helped. So, you know, nudging them or, you know, reading their full full situation, you know, through some auto, open data feed to then provide good recommendations because people need help with investing. It's, it's really hard. It's the, the principles are simple. The execution of the principles is what's hard. You know, the more we can do to make that an integrated part of their life, um, the better. And that, uh, the example I, I kind of like to use is um, it's the Uber model with payments. Um, you know, Uber, Uber has integrated payments into their end-to-end -end journeys. And um, one of the reasons why it makes it so easy to use is the fact that you can enter that taxi and leave that taxi without having to think about money. Uh, and it's just automatically, you know, done for you. Um, I, I like to think that we should have that vision in this space where things can just be done automatically. And that doesn't mean take the humans out of the process, but that just means make it as easy and convenient for people to engage with investing uh, in the manner that's convenient for them. Um, I think that's a, that's a good vision to aim for. Adam, I want to delve a bit more deeply into this last point as well and address the advice gap uh, that we're all aware of here in the UK. I think some recent research uh, highlighted that around 56% of the British population feel that they don't have access to expert investment advice and support. And 71% believe they don't feel confident to invest individually as they don't have the skill set. So can you both tell us a bit more about what your individual firms are doing to close this advice gap? And is there more that the UK more broadly, so government, industry, educational institutions, could be doing to help close that gap as well? Sure. No, I'm happy, happy to start there and kind of lead on from what I was just talking about. So I think, you know, the UK is doing a, a great job, as I said, in, in areas like, um, like open banking. You know, they're the world's leaders and um, scalable's somewhat uniquely positioned in that we we are having these conversations around you know how we can help people to invest for their future um on a global basis you know we've, we've got a, a big footprint in europe um you know partnering with a lot of the major banks there um but also talk to major financial institutions worldwide or around the way that they're looking at these problems the way that they're uh, you know trying to deliver solutions and looking at the the global and regulatory landscape that you know surrounds that um, so from kind of the scalable business model point of view, I think the area that we can really help with is by taking those learnings that, that we get from other markets. Um, you know, what do we see, you know, either, either from even government or regulation, but even in the industry itself, what do we see them doing well? Um, and bringing that to new markets um, as, part of a, as part of our set of solutions that we have. Um, and that could be um, something like, you know, exporting kind of open data, open finance principles from the UK into other markets. Or that could be having a better understanding of what's going on with, um, you know, retirement vehicles that governments are offering around the world. You know, the, the UK landscape, for example, is very complicated uh, when you look at ISAs and pensions and auto enrollment. And I say ISAs, but already underneath that, I think there's seven different types. Um, and that landscape seems to be getting more complex rather than more simple. Um, so um, other than enabling firms like Ross's, who, um, who obviously, you know, can um, kind of help to, to solve the advice gap in, in a different way, uh, right, by directly um, providing a solution to millions of people um, who they have a primary banking relationship with. Um, ours is more making sure that our partners have, a, uh, have the tools available to them to, um, you know, provide the best solution to enable them to, to, to close that gap. 
and that's either directly through um, the technology itself and the propositions that we build for them or indirectly through our learnings um, and that's either from the partnership or just being present in the countries around the world that are, are doing really interesting things as well um, yeah that, that's kind of the, the scalable perspective on it yeah, I just got a couple of thoughts to add. I mean, as Adam says, I think the most direct thing we can do right now is, is services like Plan and Invest, where we automate um, that ability to get financial advice and build a financial plan and access investments to kind of achieve your goals. That's what we're trying to do with our product. And equally, like any product, we need to evolve it quickly as customers start to use it, find the things that puts people off, why people don't follow through and improve those things and make it easier and better to use and all those things. So we're very focused at the moment in seeing all the customers who sign up first, talking to those clients, hearing more from them and improving the service um, even more. And indeed, if any of your listeners, I'd love to get that feedback. So that's, that's one thing we can do in the near term. I think um, for us, there's a couple of other pieces. So uh, we run a program called Life Skills, which is where we give um, educational support. Often that's our colleagues. We're going to schools and other institutions, but also um, a syllabus of content that helps young people typically, but wider groups as well, kind of build some basic money management skills, you know, how to budget, what is a direct debit, um, how do you kind of manage your money every month? Just helping more of, more young people in the UK have those basic life skills to get a job and also to manage their financial lives. We also do a thing called Money Mentors, who are individuals in our branches trained to help customers, again, kind of get their financial lives understood and kind of train people to make some of those decisions. So I think there's some of those things we can do and, again, work with government and other institutions to kind of scale that. I think the last thought I would have in this whole space is I'm relatively new to the investments market. I spent most of my career in other parts of, of banking, um, and I still find, um, and we, I'm still, I'm starting to struggle with it myself. It's how quick we're all institutionalised. We talk in a certain language. It's the, it's one of the most jargon-filled parts of the industry, and it puts off whole sections of society. You know, we know women invest a lot less than men, um, despite being more successful when they do. Um, we know uh, that um, ethnic minorities invest much less than they should, um, particularly the black population. So there are you know, the way we talk, the language we choose to use, the images we choose to embed in our services, all of those things are something that we're really kind of focusing on and understanding and researching. And we're going to, again, iterate within Plan and Invest and our other services like Smart Investor to make that experience more inclusive and mean as many people as possible get to services that can, can add value. So I think there's a, there's a soft skills part there about how we talk and how we, how, how we represent investing. Thanks both. So we are nearly out of time, uh, but I have one really final question for both of you. What is one piece of advice you would give to an incumbent financial institution looking to partner with a fintech? And then secondly, what is one piece of advice you would give to a fintech founder looking to partner with the incumbent financial institution? I'll go first. I'll try and keep it short. I'll throw it to Adam. Um, so uh, uh, for, the, um, for the incumbent, my advice would be leave your ego at the door. I think Adam, Adam talked about this earlier, but um, don't assume because you're big, you know best. Um, you need to enter these, but if you're going to get value from partnerships, you need to enter into them with the intent of learning and from the intent of learning, not just about technology, but actually about how scalable run their business. What are the, what's the kind of business architecture? How, do, how can you learn from that? So you've got to, as I say, big organizations can be, can be arrogant beasties um, and they need to leave that at the door and kind of genuinely enter into it in a, a spirit of partnership and respect. I think if you don't, you won't get value from it. My, uh, my one piece of advice for um, uh, the FinTech founder, which I kind of touched on earlier would be that really spend the time working out who you need to be your sponsor inside the large organization you're, you're, you're partnering with and invest time in 
building that relationship and building that sponsorship because that person will have to put a fair bit of their rep on the line um, to make to kind of keep that partnership going and see it through to the end so you need that to be a, a really strong relationship where you really are both committed to the objective and, uh, and the goal and the, and the mission you're both on and care about one another and the objective you've got um, so they, they, they'd be my two two pieces of advice I think um, yeah, I think for the for the incumbents, uh, one bit of advice, but I think it, it kind of covers two areas. So it really is be as open-minded as possible. Um, be open-minded around partnering with a fintech. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's an assumption that fintechs won't be able to, to work with, with a large institution. Um, I think that's, uh, yeah, hopefully the partnership that we've been working on um, has, has shown that it is possible. Um, but the other, other bit of open-mindedness is around, um, you know, understanding that they are just a fintech and that the ways that you might have t traditionally ran kind of parts of the organization, you know, things like procurement, um, the ways you might have looked at legal contracts, the way that um, you would usually work together with, you know, a more traditional software vendor. Um, you just need to be cognizant of the fact that, um, you know, that the fintech will approach things in a very different way. Um, they will be experts in some areas and they will be less expert in other areas. Um, so you will need to guide them more. Um, but if we, don't, if we don't find a way for fintechs and for incumbents to work together, um, then I think we're missing out on a huge opportunity to deliver innovation um, where it's needed. Um, and in the timeframes that we're, you know, that we've been dealing on over the last few years. So yeah, give it a shot and be open-minded. Um, with regards to the FinTech founder, um, you know, I would say um, the, ma the main thing is um, don't see B2B as kind of a panacea for, you know, moving out of direct to consumer because it wasn't working. Um, B2B, my own experience shows it's 10 times harder than direct to consumer. It's not a pivot to, you know, distribution is hard for new brands. Let's go where the distribution's at. Um, yes, that is a challenge. Uh, and it's a challenge that should be worth, um, you know, seeing if it's possible. Um, but B2B is hard in, in many, many different ways. So if, you're, if you really want to do B2B, the banks are large organizations that expect a, a certain level of respect, of understanding, of governance, of control. Um, and so you need to put your B2B hat on fully uh, when, you, when, you, when you go down that route. So, um, you know, if you, if you want to try B2B, um, you know, it's, it's not easy, um, but it is, it is a, a fantastic opportunity when you get it right. Um, and so it's worth, it's worth following that route as well um, and gives you an opportunity to, um, yeah, to get your, get your solution in front of uh, more people uh, or, or, you know, 24 million people <laughs> we're talking about just for this one partnership. Um, you know, that's something that um, is, a, is a small startup fintech, um, you know, would be very, very hard indeed uh, going about it any other way. Great advice both. Uh, thank you, Adam and Ross, so much for joining us today. Both Scalable Capital and Barclays uh, have been longstanding members of Innovate Finance. We were really excited to hear more about your partnership. And it's very clear that Clan Invest will go a long way in making money management and investment more accessible to a broader segment of the population. So big thank you both for joining us today and shedding some light on the partnership. And thank you listeners for tuning in to Coffee with Innovate Finance. So please look out for our upcoming episodes. And in the meantime, do follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn, or check out our website, innovatefinance.com for more on our upcoming events and programs. Until next time, stay healthy, stay well, and speak soon.